We will be in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And uh, if we were to put a title on it, we would call it Godly Living. Well, I tell you, this wasn't the plan that I would plan on doing. I would rather be preaching today on being prepared to give a defense for the, go uh, the gospel, for the hope that I have in Christ. That's coming up probably next week. We don't plan these uh, like that's what expository preaching, what it does for us is it basically if we start a book and we're going to expound on it to, together with me and Logan, it's going to tell us what our next message will be on. And <clears throat> this is a godly living and it starts off right off with the for wives to be submissive to their husbands. And uh, so I've been working on that with my wife all week. And, uh, and, and I explained to her, I say, you know, it's yes, my Lord. And, uh, you know, because that's what Abraham, it tell, it's biblical, you know. I mean, hey, let's just get this right, you know. Well, before you guys get all inflated, okay, because this is going to be probably painful for a lot of people. And I, it's, it's especially painful for me. It's kind of like we're going to have to pull this Band-Aid off and uh, where we can get, get to the message. So in today's world, let me just back up. Why don't we just back up and go all the way to the very beginning, see? Because we, we look at the Genesis, the first two chapters of Genesis, and God makes everything just absolutely perfect. It's all good. Everything is just wonderful. It's superb. Then by the time we get to the end of the second chapter of Genesis, the wheels kind of completely fall off the cart. And from that point until now is how we can explain all these problems that we have. And we're going to go over that tonight. And it explains how God intended for things to be and how things are, though. Things are not the way God, well, I can't say the sovereignty of God. I guess he had it all planned out. But we're going to go over that. Now, we live in a world that is uh, today, that is, uh, that's up pretty loud, that uh, we're, we're uh, in a world that uh, a lot of sin takes place so we have to, we have to, I have to cover some issues first to, uh, before I can get into my message, before we can get into it. And, uh, and some of that is uh, the brokenness. Uh, so I, I was presented with this because, and I, I say this is why I probably I'm stumbling and struggling a little bit right now, but let me just clear that up. See, I've been married and divorced. I've... Uh, I was born uh, into a world of damnation. I've been a sinner. I've fornicated. I've committed adultery. I've committed all these terrible acts. And when I, when I read scripture, it's just so confronting to me. It's, it's so, oh, it, it's, it's, ver it's very confronting. It's very challenging. Uh, most of my life, I was able to just ignore the scripture and ignore God. That seemed to work pretty well. 
uh, until it just brings pain, and, and it brought such pain into my life and pain in the people's lives around me, and it's a generational pain. But we need to address this. I can't find no loopholes. I cannot find no excuses, and, and I need to just get, get right to it. Uh, so this, this pain that I'm talking about, it, it's, it, it, it runs really deep. And we need to be able to address this because if I'm going to share with you how the woman is supposed to submit to the man and how the man is supposed to submit to the, to the wife, I think we need to have a clear biblical understanding what our roles are. And so we have to understand that. And then I think because of our culture nowadays that most of us uh, have been brought up in a broken family I've had this come into their lives, and I don't know uh, uh, a lot of people. There, it's a true blessing when a couple can come together, be, maybe be brought up in a church and come together and stay together. Uh, that, that is just an absolute blessing. And uh, so I'm going to put this divorce, and I have to talk about divorce. Uh, and I'm going to explain to you what God thinks about divorce. And when I'm going to be talking tonight... This is going to be hurtful. This is going to be painful. Uh, sometimes I feel like an oppor uh, equal opportunity offender because it just offends so many people. It offends God's word, and it, it offends me, and it has offended me to, to where it made a change in my life, uh, and I have to understand it. So, so what does God think about divorce? Well, we know from Scripture God hates divorce, and a matter of fact, let me just tell you how much God hates it. I would say there would be something else that God just really absolutely hates too, and that would be abortion, okay? Uh, see, God, when God creates something, when God knits that child in that mother's womb and one decides to take in, in that life, God has made that and put that together. Well, the same way... When God puts the husband and the wife together, he ordains it. It is the oldest institution in the world, and when God puts two together, he creates one. And when man, because of the hardening of their heart, for whatever reason, decide to separate that, they, they murder it. It's just like they, they kill it. They, they dissolve what God put together. That is not what God, and God is very direct, very serious about it. He, he, he hates divorce. So we, I want us to know that. We have to accept that. And, and I think before there's any resolution or any absolution that we need to understand our sin and our wrong and our depravity before there can be a forgiveness. If not, we will just perpetuate the same pain and the same sin over and over and over again. And in the Word, he will make this very clear to us. So what happened in Genesis 2 when the wheels fell off? Well, it says that in uh, Genesis 3.16. And here's because when we question God's sovereign authority... He, that we had rule over everything, and we, we was told not, they, Adam and Eve were told not to eat from this one tree in the garden. And if they would, they would die. And we know that the serpent had beguiled Eve, and she disobeyed God and gave some to Adam. And then that was the fall of man. And, 
and immediately there was a covering that God did, and he covers us today. But that's another message, but we're going to run into that a little bit. But when he now, when he enacts his curse or his punishment, it's when he's speaking to the woman, first he, he uh, promotes the uh, passage judgment on the, the Satan in the form of a snake. But then he goes to the woman. It's to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in ch childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, that's why I had to back up all the way to Genesis, because what happened is the first two chapters, things were going really good. Now the wheels completely fell off the cart. And from this point on in history, you have male chauvinism and the woman's right movement, and it's been the, the war of the sexes. The battle of the sexes has been going on uh, because of this curse that's there. And we see it today. We see that through our culture and through time, there was uh, the woman's rights and sexual revolution and... I won't mention the other ones because I'd hate to get banned, but we're going to discuss that in some of the other sins, but that's another message. But the point being is these sins uh, that have happened, and it's the woman, because I'll sound chauvinistic at this point, is, is wanted her freedom over her rights. And the man, because it says that she will be contrary, she'll want to control her husband and rule over it. And she's taking charge of her life. And then what's the man want to do? He's the chauvinist, and he wants to lord over his wife, and he wants to control her. He expects his wife for her to say, yes, Lord. And he wants to own her like a piece of property. And we see this through culture and through time. The stigmas are still there. That is not the way God intended this to be. But... This is the way it is right now. This is what we're dealing with. And we need to understand that. So, now, there's different groups of people out there. And I know there will be one group uh, that would be, that have committed adultery, uh, an adulteress, an adulterer. Uh, that was, they broke the covenant of marriage and had relations outside of marriage. And then there was a divorce. Uh, but I think before I start talking a little bit about that group of people, let's just say, what, what does God say about divorce? Well, we know he hates it already. I've already explained to you the severity, how bad he hates it. What he gave in Moses, he talked about that the people wanted to have a divorce. And so he, he, God does never condones divorce. But he, he allowed it to happen because of the, it says, because of the hardening of their heart that he allowed it. Because he allowed the hardening of your hearts, they have it, to the, to the Jewish men. And a part of that was if she were to commit adultery, that would be grounds for a divorce. Even in the, the New Testament today, grounds for the divorce would be adultery. And then one could give their spouse a written divorce. Uh, so, but what had happened was Moses allowed this and permitted it. God allowed it, told Moses, Moses allowed it and said that, that they, they're to do this if there was, uh, 
adultery or, or even to the sense that they could be, you could commit adultery, a spiritual adultery against God too, uh, in a sense. So what, what had happened was the Jewish men then at this point were looking for any reason to be able to give their wife a written divorce. So they, were, they wanted to live their sin. Just, it's no different in today's world, but I don't think we even get married nowadays. Uh, but just any reason, if she were to look at a guy, maybe I'm going to divorce her, or, or maybe if this was going to happen, I'm going to get a written divorce for her, then I can go be with another. And, but this was, they allowed it. It wasn't, God didn't, doesn't, God hates it. So then we find what happens is we, we find when Jesus, now we find that the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes want to confront Jesus and they want to ask him about this. Because remember, they were always trying to trap Jesus or trick him up. And so let's see what Jesus says about this. For, for that way, he'll say something contradictory to the Moses. And then we can say, aha, we got you. And the Pharisees always like to do that. So what we find then is what does Jesus do? Uh, how does Jesus answer this question? And in Mark chapter 10, verses 2 through 9, And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now they're asking this to Jesus. And he answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And uh, so now... They wasn't putting the whole truth in there because there wasn't, they didn't bring up the part about adultery, but they were talking about, yeah, see, you know, God allows this. You can just, as long as you give her a written paper, we can just send her away. And now they want Jesus to say something contrary to this. But listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of your heart, he wrote, you this commandment. And that's what we found back in Moses. This is why it was allowed because of the hardness of their heart. He allowed that. But from the beginning, now see, here's what Jesus does. He brings it all the way back to the beginning on what God's intention. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. But therefore, God has joined together. Let no man separate. Now, that is the binding together that something that God does is the same as a, in, in the womb of a child in the womb being put together. Uh, God bounds that together. So Jesus brings them right to that point. They, they enjoyed their adulterous behavior. So now, now we have so many people that are uh, divorced in our culture. And uh, so there's this shame and this guilt that they feel in them. They, they read God's word. Now, I always find it very interesting when the Pharisees and the scribes come and they challenge Jesus, his attitude and his very forwardness. is completely different to when Jesus talks to a sinner. And we're going to get into that. Okay, because it's very important for you to know, because I know there's probably a lot of people out there that have been through a divorce, whether, whether uh, it was their fault or their spouse's fault or both of their faults, they've been in divorce, and they may be remarried now. 
or they may not, but they're feeling the shame and this guilt, and they read this scripture, and it's very, it's very, uh, it's, it's hurtful, it's, it's uh, com- conflicting. Uh, and, but this is what God says about this. This is what God feels about this. But then, then there's, there is a remedy. So I want you to stick around to the end of the message to hear the remedy that you can have a blessing. Okay? So how does, what do you mean by that, John? Well, his attitude, and, and so I have to bring us to, I want to bring us to the book of John in the chapter 3. And we find the woman at the well is where we're going to get to. But I want you to notice something about Jesus' attitude. And being that Jesus knows all of our hearts, he knows our hearts and our minds, but let's see his interaction between these two people. We have a Pharisee, the leader of his people, comes to Jesus, and reading before in chapter 2, remember that Jesus had left and says that he knows the hearts of all men. And immediately Nicodemus shows up on the scene here, and Nicodemus didn't say, what do I need to do to obtain my salvation? Jesus immediately read him and knew what was in his, his heart and says, you must be born again. And now Nicodemus, he, he was confronted with a real problem. He was a leader of the people. He's supposed to be teaching them how to obtain eternal salvation to be with God. That's his job. Uh, so he's presented with this real problem. And this is what he was concerned about. So he's there to ask, and he was asking Jesus, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do, Jesus? Because uh, he's thinking, if I could just do one more thing. See, he's doing all of the law, everything that's been brought to him. He's teaching. He's doing all these things. But what, what can I do? I, if I could just do one more thing, and then I can, I can feel that, that justified in the righteousness of God. But you notice Jesus didn't give that to him. Jesus just didn't just give that. He, he presented him with a problem that's it's basically nothing you can do, Nicodemus. All right? Nicodemus, he left there in a quandary. All right? Then we go, now we find the next person. We find the woman in the well. The woman in the well is a very, very interesting one. The woman in the well now in Samaria, Samaritan woman, and... Uh, Jesus goes to the well. She approaches to get some water. Now, this woman, who a lot of you may be able to relate with, and even myself, in the sense that here's a person who's been married five times, and she's living with a, with a man outside of marriage right now. Uh, so what was she feeling when she showed up at the well? Now, remember that Jesus knew her heart and mind as well as he knew Nicodemus's. And so what, what does Jesus say to her? You know, he tells the woman, he asks her for a drink. And uh, she asks, well, what, what's, a, a, you know, what's a Jew asking me for a drink that, that was just out of their culture that wouldn't be right? A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus answered her. Now here's what Jesus answers. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me and he would have given you living water. Okay? 
if you knew who's, who's asking for this drink, he's talking to her now, and he, and he knows her heart, that he would give her that drink. Well, here's a woman with all this shame, and she knew that she was uh, come from the bloodline of Joshua. That was his well. She, she knew these things. She knew a Messiah was going to come one day. She had a belief, but she had a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness. All right? Now, I, I don't... Now, now, listen to me. Let's not get our theology from a TV program. Let's get our theology from a Bible, okay? It, it doesn't say in here that her first husband abused her and her second one ran off. It doesn't say that because that doesn't matter. What we have here is we have a broken person confronted with their sin because I don't care which one left one or the other or what happened to you or what excuse you may have. God says that he hates divorce. He that What God puts together, you are not to separate. For no reason, no excuse, we're going to talk about the scripture he does not that want, so there's no excuse imaginable. All you can do is feel your depravity and feel your sin. That's, that's all you can do. And that's all this woman was doing in her heart. And she wasn't asking what she needed to do. She wasn't questioning this at this point. He said this to her. She says back four verses later, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband. What does she do? She responds back. She says, give me this water. I want this water. I need this water. Not, what, the, what can I do to get my salvation? But I want this water. She says, I want it. Please give it to me. Is that what we ask? We ask for God by believing? We ask him, please? Then he asked her. He said, go tell your husband. And that's when he, he, she's confronted with that. That See, Jesus knew, and she answered right. She says, he, you, you've answered right. You've had five husbands and you're living with somebody now. But she, she, she believed. Here was a woman that was coming to the well feeling ashamed, disgraced, that she would go at 12 noon to avoid going around other women. Uh, she didn't want to be around these people. It was the well on the outside of town. It was the hottest time of the day. She was looked down upon. She felt bad about herself. And then and here Jesus gave her, gave her, she believed, and Jesus gave it to her. And what does she do? She goes back to the village to go around all the people and tell them the experience she just had, that she met this prophet, the man. Jesus reveals, his, reveals himself. Jesus, who does Jesus reveal himself? The first I am. The first I am is Jesus reveals that to her, the woman at the well, the broken person, not asking what more do I need to do for my salvation, but give me what you have to offer. I'm in pain. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will tell us all things. See, she believed. She said to her, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. The great I am's 
who he is. He revealed to himself that he was God. He manifested himself God in his creation to come at that point in time. She went to the village and told everybody about this experience. Many came to believe. They had to meet Jesus for two days and, and come about that themselves. So, why am I saying all this now? I'm saying this because I want you to understand God's attitude towards self-righteous people that are trying to trick him up and trying to play on God's word. Uh, that it's okay for them to find an excuse, to try to find a loophole here in Scripture, to find an excuse to sin and say that it's okay, and to trip Jesus up himself because Moses says, you know, that we can have a written divorce. You can be, you can be led out of this to continue into this adulterous behavior. There's, a, there's another Scripture that I ended up researching and going to a lot, and it was in Hosea. And I find here in Hosea that God tells Hosea to go and marry a harlot, a lady in, in prostitution, and to marry her and have children. And uh, in this relationship in the first chapter, he goes and he finds her, he marries her, she's a prostitute, so she's committing fornication. And then in chapter 2, it's, it, now it's, it starts speaking in correlation of how the Jewish people are a harlot or a prostitute. And we can also look at ourselves as all harlots or prostitutes. We all fall short of the glory of the God. There is not one out there that thinks they're righteous. Uh, if you think that, you got it wrong. We all have been the harlot in this story. Just as Israel was as a nation, just as I am as an individual, so are you. But it's an interesting story what takes place and how God talks to his prophet and tells him to go marry a harlot and to have these children. I don't have to discuss the names for the, the children, but don't name your children that. And then in chapter 3, uh, it talks about how she went back out into her trade of prostitution and she was probably owned by a slave. He had to go back and repurchase her and the story of, of how... Uh, God's relationship is with the Jewish people, how they're, they're committing a spiritual adultery with believing in these false gods and doing these different things away from God and rebelling against God. And, and God explains that how he doesn't owe them any mercy, that the wrath can come down on him. And I, I think a lots of times that broken people feel that, that wrath of God and they hear it in the word. But, but understand, let's, let's just keep going with this and let's understand this. My salvation is not contingent upon what I've done or can do. It's what God has done for me and what God will do for you and what God did for the Jewish people. I have no excuses or no reasons to ever have left a wife. Okay? None. And... Why? Because he's showing us the example here in Hosea that how the Jewish people acted and also Hosea's wife, Gomer, how she had acted. And he went and bought her back and made her his wife. Now, am I telling you to go bring your wife back because you're divorced? No, no. Once, once a divorce is done, it's done. 
Okay, we're not, we're not going back to that. And Paul gives us instruction on uh, for us to be married, that if we can't devote ourselves to the singleness purpose of God, that marriage is fine. But then we run into another problem. If we got to give her a written divorce and there wasn't adultery uh, committed, uh, the innocent person should still not be, cannot get married because they will continue to commit adultery then. So now we're stuck with another big dilemma. Have I, have I, have, have I admitted and confessed to that? Or am I continually going to commit perpetual sin every day of my life because I haven't recognized what I've done? Now, the answer to that is you have to acknowledge it. Uh, You have to acknowledge it. You have to accept your sins. Now, where where do I go for that? Now we're going to start turning the corner a little bit, and I'm, I'm thank goodness for this, because I, 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 you know, all this condemnation, I, I can't just, I can't deal with it. It's overwhelming to me. You know, the most, I'm going to tell you the most rewarding verse, there was ignorance in my life, and there's probably ignorance in a lot of people's lives. And, uh, and, 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 and I, I, I'll, I'm going to just say this right now. I'm going to get off track one rabbit hole. Okay. So I find and I see people that are brought up under the law, and they are told that this is what God does. This is what you have to do. This is what you need to do. I'm going to hit you over the hand with a ruler. And their whole life, they are just being they're being pounded on. Uh, they're being hit over the head of, with the Bible and telling them what they need to do. They're like sheep in the pen, just getting beat their whole lives. And these people are like, I don't want that God. I I don't want that God. And see, Galatians is a very interesting book. And I'll tell you why Galatians, because Paul says, he says, who has bewitched you, my, my brethren? Who has bewitched you? Did you get the spirit of salvation from the law? Or did you get it by the spirit? See, it never comes, but you can beat somebody over the head with the law all day long, seven days a week for their entire life. They will never get salvation through the law. They will only get it through the Spirit, and they will only get it through when they holler out to the Lord in a brokenness. We must come to a point of brokenness in our life, and we must holler out to the Lord, and the Spirit will ascend on you if you believe in your heart and profess with your mouth and cry for the Lord. The Spirit will ascend on you, come upon you. You will not have to revert back to the law because that's what Paul's saying. Who bewitched you, you silly Galatians? You are filled with the Spirit now. Now we seek the truth. Now we learn the truth. Ignorance is not going to work for us no more. We learn the Word of God. We chew on it. We learn it. See, so what happens then is because people have been beat up Whatever doxology, whatever they grew up in, whatever household they grew up in, whatever, whatever denomination, they carry all this baggage with us. We carry baggage with us through our life experiences. And you may, have, you may have come to that point of salvation where the Spirit, not the law, has filled you. Now you're filled with the Spirit, but you still got all this other, this hodgepodge mix of stuff. So you just take all this hodgepodge mix of stuff and you watch a TV series and you, you got that and you can pick and choose there, which is really nice too because you can say, well, I, I believe that, but no, I don't believe that. And uh, uh, they're picking and choosing and, and it's like there's just this great big mess that people have in them and it still will continue to cause pain in their lives. 
That's why it's so important after you feel the salvation, the old has passed away, the new has begun to enter into God's word. We must read God's word. We listen. If you want to watch the series on TV about God, watch it with in mind to say, when we get to a theological question, I want to open the Bible up and see what does the Bible say and have a discussion. Oftentimes in discussions, I find that to be the most productive. Not what we're saying is true, but that we discuss what is being said. And when we enter upon it and pray to God for wisdom, he'll give us the wisdom to get a deeper and a greater understanding. But we're only going to find that in the, God, the book of God. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. I can't make stuff up. I can't watch it. It's a hit or a miss. It's the Scripture and the Scripture alone is what rules and dictates my life. I have a problem with emotions and feelings and I'm emotionally driven and my feelings can drive me one way and I need to hold it up to the letter of the, the law, to God's word. I need to hold it up to this. Is this does this uh, correlate with God's word? If not, I have to throw it out. Uh, I, I go into Corinthians, First uh, Corinthians, uh, chapter six. This is for the broken people. Does anyone, does any one of you, when he has case against his brother, this is Christian people like attacking one another to sue him, and 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 uh, Paul's going to point out to them. Uh, they're basically their depravity. Uh, but brother goes to he goes to court and tries to sue his brother to, to put his faith instead of going to a, a godly man in your church to settle a dispute. And uh, on the contrary, yourselves were wrong and defraud. You do not even to your brethren, or do you not know that the the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now here. Because what I found is there's not a lot of examples here on, on what about remarriage and, and how we should uh, and how to go forward. There's a lot about how not to get divorced, how you shouldn't get divorced. There's no excuse for it. But we don't see a lot of text and a lot of scripture on the part that we need to really address. And we need to settle in our, our hearts and in, in, in our spirit. So I, I, I bring you to this, this verse, these verses, to help us with that. Okay, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulteresses, nor effeminates, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this part. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the spirit of God. See, such were some of you. No matter what you've done in your life or how bad you feel. And what Jesus and God wants ultimately because he knows we're all broken and we're all sinners. Even after being saved we're going to sin. But we have to confess our sins. We have to understand the seriousness of the offense. And we have to confess it. When I came to that point, when I come to the point in the Bible, the most rewarding verse was Romans 8.1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. There is going to be no punishment of my crime. All my marriages, all my sins, everything I've done in the past, 
now and in the future. There's no condemnation. I'm not going to suffer the wrath or the punishment of God. Wow, thank you, God. I was felt so condemned in point in my life. And when I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and Savior, there was a, something that was, a, that was, it was an imputation. At that point, at the conversion, what Jesus did is he took all my sins and he took them and put them on him. And he took his righteousness and he imputed it to me. For when God looks at me as a broken person, he looks at me as righteous and I'm justified. As if I'd have never committed the crime. I'd never committed that sin. But the problem is you don't need a Savior until you admit that you need one by the sins that you commit. That's what he wants from us. He doesn't want me to feel condemned and, and feel down there. But he wants me to holler from the top of the world. There's forgiveness for all. I don't care. Married, divorce, the uh, your sexual, outside of marriage, anything that you've committed in your life, all you need to do is look at it and repent. You holler out to the Lord. We find David in Psalm 51. It was a, it was a, a repentance, a, a psalm of repentance. Read that to yourself. Read it, read it like you mean it if you want to, if you, you need to clear up some sins. The next time, the, you can do it in your own room right now. You can just holler out to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. He will do it. He tells us, do not sin, but if we do sin, confess your sins and surely he'll forgive you. Right now, he can forgive you of that sin. The first of every month, we do the Lord's table. That's where we come together. That's where we have a somber, a seriousness in heart and we confess our sins and you will be forgiven. He tells us that to be justified, to be covered. So, I'm glad that was my introduction. Let me get into the, to the message now. Uh, First Peter tells us, it says, In the same wives, wives, submit, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without word and behavior of their wives. Now understand at this time in, in the culture and the history that oftentimes that uh, weddings were prearranged and, and women didn't have no rights. They were basically property. But let's bring it all the way back to the beginning because we, I told you that the downfall was that the, what the, the battle of the sexes was going on since the beginning of time. It doesn't make it right, but that's the way it was. And so then lots of times you could have an unevenly yoked marriage. Uh, and here, he, you know, here he's saying to be submissive to your own, to your own husbands. So that means that for you to be submissive to someone else's husband, as, as he's telling you, uh, to be disciplined. They may have been won over. And he's telling that woman, he's telling her, even if you're in this relationship where you have an adulterous husband, he's not a believer, to stay with him, to stay faithful, to keep praying for him, that you're, it's your inward heart of who you are uh, will, can possibly change your husband in, with the help of God, of course. But that's your job. That's your place. It's not contingent on what your husband does for you. It's what you need to do for God, your relationship with God. It's not contingent upon what the Jewish people had done in Hosea. Uh, it wasn't contingent on what they did. What did they do? They warred against God. They, they commit spiritual adultery, and God continued to take them back and cover them with their love. Not because they did anything. Because of God's love, and God's love is so great, that but we have to believe. And here they're telling the woman to submit. Now God, 
God has placed, there's roles that the, between the husband and the wife. God designed the woman to be the loving, nurturing one in this relationship. The male is supposed to be the protector and provider. Yes, I'm over my wife because I answer to God. I have to answer to God and love my wife the way Christ loves the church. And how did Christ love the church? He died for the church. You have to cover your wife. You have to love your wife. You have to meet all of her needs. And so you are submitting to her. But in the same time, you're, you are, you're over her that your responsibilities, not because she's a subservient or she's uh, mentally weaker because it's a physical stature. And this is the way God designed it. And this is God's design. Now, I know we live in a culture nowadays where everybody wants to do their own thing and, and feel good about it, but that's not how God designed it. Let's understand how God designed it. So next time, uh, or the first time, that we get married, I want you to get married to live a God-honoring life. I want you to put God first in your life, and no matter what, let it remember and understand that when God puts a male and a female together in the vows of marriage, he creates one flesh. Your body is no longer your body. Your husband owns your body, and your wife owns your body. You become one flesh. God has designed you to put you together. There's nothing that person can do that you should leave that person. Yes, God gave you a, a, a doesn't want gave you a, to say you could because of the hardening of your heart that you can give her a written divorce for adultery because see a sex sin goes so deep it goes into our core and in, in our sex sins do see stealing something's in the outside but when we get in sexual relationships outside of marriage it goes into our core God knows this He designed this for us so we have to understand that so. Just as the imputation of Christ covers me, I, my, I, the time when God covered me and made me righteous, I'm still the same person. It's a covering. He, 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 he covered me. I'm still the same person. Well, we should cover our wives the same way God covers us. That's our job as husbands. Wives' jobs are to submit to their husband. This is what Scripture tells us. And let's understand what we, we battle against. We have the curse. She's going to want to control the husband. He's going to want to lord over her. But I, I, I say, husbands, men, to, if you're saved, I want you to look at your life. I want you to look at all the sins you've committed in your life. Everything that you warred against God. I want you to think about how the blood of Christ covers you. How God come to you, covered you, made you whole. He's your protector. He's your provider. He's your security. We are to love our wives in the same way. Uh, Right before this in Peter, it says, Christ is our example. The suffering servant. How did Christ live? How did he, he suffered? He was unjustly accused. The trial, the execution, lived a sinless life. We could read Isaiah 52, 53 again. 
also. Uh, but but we're, we're not. But I, I want us to, to know that. And if you're living your life in guilt and shame because you're, you're married now, but you're still hung up in the past, that of past uh, maybe a past divorce or there's been some adultery, there's something that's went on in your life and there's a shame and there's a guilt, uh, God will forgive you for that. You, you don't have to carry that around. See, there's nothing you can do that take that away from you, uh, but God can. He can cover you. He can forgive you. We find that uh, David, we're going to end in uh, Psalm 51. David, after, what did David do? He, he was married. He lusted for Bathsheba. He sent her husband out to battle to have him murdered for his sin wouldn't get covered up of his relation with Bathsheba. And uh, he did all these things and it, it brought great pain. And we have to understand in the Old Testament, the writings was at this time before Moses allowed people to have a certificate of divorce that the consequence for adultery was uh, execution. You were to be executed. So by rights, David, uh, at this point, when he did this crime, he should have been executed, okay? Uh, but then through Moses, he allowed that because of the hardening of the heart to, to allow them to have a divorce and made this a stipulation of this adultery. But here we find David that commits this uh, atrocity. And what does he do? He, he begins this prayer. It's Psalm 51. Let's just say this prayer in closing. And, uh, and if you feel that pain, uh, say a prayer to God. Just talk to God like he's right next to you. Give it to him. Cry out to the Lord. Believe. He'll cover you. Just as he's covered me and, and many others. And he, he wants to. And here we see how he covers David. David was forgiven. He came back into the grace of God. Be gracious to me, O God, David says, according to your loving kindness, according to your greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against you... You only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden parts you will make me known no wisdom. Purify me with hispis and shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me in a willing spirit. Then I will teach your transgressions, your ways, and your sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing in your righteousness. O Lord, open my lip that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Be your forever favor. Do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the righteous sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings then young bulls will be offered on your altar lord let us pray father we just thank you for this time father we thank you for your words no matter how strong or hurtful they may be that we we thank you for them words father we we thank you for the remedy to the solution your son jesus christ and father if anybody is feeling that pain right now uh, or whenever they hear this and they're feeling that pain if they just if we know that if they just cry out to the lord father and believe that he can come in and heal heal us he can cover us father and with him doing that is is can teach us all and the standards on on which we should love our spouses whether the wife to the husband or the husband to the wife that we know our place we shall not lord over them. We should allow them the way God allowed us uh, to live, that we can't fix them, that God, you can fix them, or God, you can fix us. We thank you, God, for that. Father, we thank you for this time that we can share your word. And may the Lord be with all those who calls that call upon him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody.